And welcome to Restoration Church. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called You've Heard It Said, and we're actually just going to look at the Bible today um, and sort of break down an instance where Jesus is talking to a group of people and says these exact words, you've heard it said, uh, and then he goes on to say, but I say to you this. A um, <clears throat> little bit about me, I'm kind of a nerd. Uh, I really like comic books. I just started reading comic books again. It had been a while since I read some comic books. Uh, and it, they're sort of like the perfect marriage of everything that I really love. They are, you know, superheroes and sort of fantastical things. Uh, some of them are really well written. And then there's just like all this incredible art that goes along with them. I don't know if you know like all of the detail that it takes to make a comic book, but it's kind of mind blowing. It's also why like they're expensive now. It used to be like four cents back when Jason Fountain bought comic books. They were like at four cents for like 30 of them. Um, but like somebody draws those comics like in a pencil and then somebody goes back over those comics with a pen and then somebody goes back in and then colorizes all of those. I mean, that's just three people that are working on the art and there's a lot of stuff that goes into to comic books. So I love them. And anyways, I've been reading this one recently called The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which... Um, is kind of a joke of a title because it's actually about these like B-tier villains that are just really terrible at everything they do. Um, they basically can't help themselves from sabotaging each other constantly. You know, it's about the Sinister Six. There's only five of them. Like that's how bad they are at, at what they're doing is they like can't even fill another position with like another B-tier bad guy. And they have like terribly useless powers, like a guy that throws boomerangs, um, and a guy that like can change cars into slightly cooler cars. Like, that's his superpower. Like at one point in time, he turned uh, like a bike into a Segway. And I was like, that's lame. That's super lame. Anyways, um, it's funny because they, they, it follows these bad guys around. Like Spider-Man doesn't even show up because they constantly foil themselves. Like they are constantly like backstabbing each other and they're just really bad at what they do. Their organizational like skills are at a zero and um, they, they hate Spider-Man though. They're terrified of him. Like they, whenever Spider-Man comes up, he is like the villain of this story, which I think is just kind of strange. Um, but it makes sense. They have like this AA style like group that gets together and talks about like how hard it is to be a, a supervillain, and they like kind of cry on each other's shoulders, and they're like Spider-Man beat me up and sent me to jail, and they're like me too, and they all hate him. But anyways, all that to be said, um, it's a really interesting view into the life of the villain of the enemy, um, and from their perspective. Um, the enemy is actually Spider-Man, like the, the person that we view as a hero. And so it, the whole kind of thing revolves around this question of like, who are your enemies? What do you believe about your enemies? Um, you know, some of the motives that these like villains have are actually like pretty good. Like they're trying to like save someone they love or like get out of debt. Some of them are just straight up greedy, but like, so are we. You know, so it's it's a really interesting look into the life of of seemingly like kind of normal people um, and who they consider to be their enemy. And we're going to talk about enemies today because Jesus did. Um, and it's a really interesting, um, well, you'll see. 
Jesus gets into some really interesting stuff here because it kind of flips the script on, on the way that really all of us kind of naturally think. Uh, so we're in Matthew 5, and if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to, to pull it out and like look at it so you don't have to read off of a screen because that's always kind of annoying. Um, and just side note about the Bible, we've got like, to read the Bible. It's just kind of a, we just need to. As like people that are claiming to follow Jesus, it's something we should be doing. And if we don't know how to do it, and if we're not teaching people how to do it, we're going to get lost. And that's actually kind of what got the people in trouble that Jesus is addressing today. Is like, instead of actually kind of like studying the law or like studying what was in the Old Testament, these people just kind of like went off of what other people told them and things kind of transformed and got out of hand. Um, so we're in Matthew 5. I'm going to put the first part of that up there. Um, and this is, on the, this is part of what's known as like the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus has, it's kind of the longest recorded like sermon that we have from Jesus, where he covers a whole bunch of stuff, almost in like a really strange way, where he's like, I'm going to talk about divorce, I'm going to talk about this, and, and lying, and, and hate, and enemies, and like it just kind of like, like, he just knocks it all out, like just in case all these people were confused, because it turns out at that time, people really were. Um, but they didn't know. They really thought that they had it together. There was this like kind of um, elitist group of, of scribes called Pharisees who um, were sort of the teachers of the day, and they took God's law, like the Mosaic law, and they turned it into um, basically a curse. Um, they, they took what was meant to be a blessing and really turned it into a curse by adding stuff to it. And, you know, they were so, and you can see, like, the logic behind it. They were so concerned with not breaking God's law that they made it super restrictive. And it, it kind of, like, stole life from God's people. And so when Jesus shows up, he's like, I, you, this is not what I had in mind. I want you to have life. I need you to understand that you, you've got some of these things kind of wrong. Um, and to some of these people, that was blasphemy. Like, he showed up, and they were like, whoa, you can't say that, but he's God, so I'm going to listen to him. Um, but he gets up there, and he starts to clarify some things. So it starts out like this. I'm going to read this whole thing, and then we're going to go back through, and we're just going to pick it apart. Um, and if you're somebody who's like, I don't really understand how to read the Bible well, this is like a decent way to do it. Like, read through, and then go back and, and pull meaning out of each one of these verses if you can. And if you need help with that, there's commentaries and things online. And like, you know, be careful where you find those things. But um, I'll do it for you today. It says, uh, and this is Jesus talking to a group of people. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, Hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Um, this is a, a kind of a strange thing to say, uh, because it kind of goes against like self-preservation in a lot of ways. You know, it seems like you're going to just like let people run you over. You're going to be a doormat. Um, growing up in the Church of the Brethren, anybody else? Church of the Brethren? No? It's not a cult, I promise. Um, uh, but, but they're really into pacifism. And so, like, this was, like, everywhere. You know, they're, like, it was just stamped all over the place. Like, and I just was convinced that, like, 
as a Christian, my like goal in life was to just let people beat me up. Like that is what God wants for you. Um, I don't think that's the case. In fact, if you um, kind of, if you, most scholars would say that this is actually in reference to uh, insults, to, to something that um, is said to you, not necessarily something physical. I think it can apply to physical things, but I don't think that what God is saying here is like, let someone beat you up. Um, that doesn't make any sense, uh, especially in the context that we have here. But, um, you know, the idea is that a, a, a slap, like this like backhanded slap, be kind of like the most insulting way for someone to injure you, which I think is totally true. I was going to have somebody come up here and that just, that would just take it too far. <laughs> no. I always say, there's one person in all of Young Life staff that I wouldn't fight, and it's Jeff Lakin. He's just, he's too strong. Um, but it, it's, about, it's about insults, and it's about, it's about like people talking about you and to you in a way that hurts, which I think is something that like we can all say like, yeah, that happens to me in my life. That's actually kind of normal, especially in today's society where we can hide behind things and say things. Um, and, you know, that just goes out there forever. And then it's even like contextually gets mixed, mixed up because we type things and write things and then things get all kinds of confusing. So um, I'd say it's relatively applicable today. But he says, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, like if somebody really cuts you deep, turn to them the other cheek also. Um, let them keep going. Show them that what they're doing is actually not really that big of a deal to you. And I think, um, well, one, that's hard. Uh, but two, it's, this does something uh, that Jesus is really into. And it's, it makes people stop and look. And Jesus was constantly begging that people would just stop and look because he was always doing something kind of backwards, kind of upside down. And whenever he did that, um, it was rooted in this radical love. This, this love that like makes no sense, that like is undeserved, that is um, like almost too much. Um, and that's what Jesus is actually talking about. And we're going we're gonna to keep coming back to that over and over again as we go through this passage that Jesus is talking about like deep, radical love. And when I say radical, like that is truly what that word means. Like it, it's like dangerous almost that, that loving people like this um, will upset them almost because it just is so different than what they're used to. But that's what Jesus did um, over and over and over again. Um, there's more to it, if we can go back there, after the, the slapping part, because he keeps adding to it. So one, he says like, hey, just take it. And then he adds on to it, because I think this just gets harder and harder as it keeps going. Like, hey, let people insult you, whatever. If somebody wants to sue you, I've never been sued, but I feel like that would be like one of the worst days of my life, when somebody like calls me up and is like, hey, you're being sued. Like, I don't want to deal with that. If somebody sues you to take your shirt sounds like an odd lawsuit, hand over your coat as well. Um, I would argue that this is like kind of hyperbole here. I don't know if anybody back in the day did sue you for your shirt. It seems like an, an odd lawsuit. Um, but he's saying like, if somebody wants to take from you, give to them. And here's why. And we'll see it again here in a second too when he adds to it. Um, it takes away the power that that person has. 
it's actually like a decent, like I think Jesus is a very practical person. Like this is a decent strategy in dealing with people that want to manipulate you. You take away all the power that they have when they say, I'm taking this one from you. And you're like, no, you can have two. Then it's on you. And all you're doing is showing them love. It's not spite. You're not doing this to like smear their face in it. It's actual love. And then he goes on to say, if anyone forces you to go um, one mile, uh, go with them two miles. Uh, so when Jesus was alive, like on earth alive, not now alive, um, Rome had taken over that entire area, and it was under Roman rule. And Rome had a really interesting way of like ruling places. They basically let you do like whatever you normally would do. They found that if they didn't try and like force you to do a whole bunch of stuff, you were much better like, I don't know, not slaves, but like they could rule over you a lot more easily. Um, but they did tax you, and they would leave like soldiers around to make sure that things didn't get out of hand. And it was a law that if you um, were asked by a Roman soldier to carry their, their pack, you had to for a mile. Um, that was their like legal limit. And he's saying if somebody does this, which it was a thing that like could have happened. And can you imagine like being, like minding your own business, maybe like working, like a job that's already pretty hard, and somebody just walks up to you and just throws their pack at you and is like, carry this for a mile. I would assume it'd probably take like 20 minutes to like go. Then you're 20 minutes away from where you're supposed to be. You have to come back, get back to work, and be like, sorry, I just missed the last 40 minutes of work. I was working. Like it sounds terrible. And it sounds like really infuriating. Like I would be so mad if like this type of thing like interrupted my day. And so this is like a, you know, we have to kind of set ourselves back in this time where like something like this could have happened and think to ourselves like Jesus is saying, hey, instead of like, because if, if somebody did that to me, if somebody was like, here's my pack, I would count every step. I would not talk to that person. I would count every step. And as soon as it was done, I would throw their bag on the ground as hard as I could. And I would walk back. Nothing said. And Jesus flips the script here. He says, no, what you should do is you should actually just offer to walk two miles. And I think that in saying that, he's saying, like, everything would be different. It's not that you're just walking a different, like, distance. You have now given this person something. You have now shown them love. And when we show love, that whole, that whole walk is different. There's a conversation there. That enemy that, that you just had is now someone who, for the next, I don't know, 40 minutes, is becoming a friend. You're, starting, you're seeking understanding. You're talking to them. And in that, they understand you, too. Jesus knows these things. Jesus, Jesus didn't just say this to like sound wild. He knows that there's a lot of power in showing people radical love. Um, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's just saying, be generous. You've got stuff, share it. All of these things kind of like come together under sort of one heading and it's just that Jesus suggests that love in a place where it's most unexpected, is extremely powerful, right? Because we know what, like, really strong love feels like because it comes from people that, that love us. But those are people that we, like, expect to, like my parents. I expect them to love me, and I expect them, like, even if they did something crazy, I'd be like, that was so nice of you. But, like, it's kind of expected. Like, you're my parents. Like, you should do this. I deserve this. I'm awesome. Yeah, thank you. Um, but when radical love shows up in places where it's not expected at all, it takes on this like extra 
level of power. Where when someone is like, whoa, like I totally didn't deserve this. Have you ever like been really rude to someone and then they respond to you with kindness and you're like, oh my gosh, you know? Like I, I feel like there's been multiple times where like I feel justified where I like walk up to the counter somewhere and I'm like, hey, I have been wronged here. And they're like, oh my gosh, you totally have. Here's like a whole bunch of stuff, like take it. I'm like, oh, sorry, I was, I'm gonna take a couple steps back here. Um, what's your name again? Uh, it's, it's real. Like, Jesus is talking about these things that are very practical and really change the world around us. You know, when we interact with people like this, it, it changes, like, the reality that we live in. People, like, pass that stuff on. People, people like, absorb that. When our children see that, they copy it. My son right now is at the age where he copies everything, which is terrifying, unless... We're doing like really radically loving things in our home. Um, it goes on um, to, we'll move on to the next thing here in just a second, but I should say this. Um, if you don't think that God can handle these things for you, um, you, we need to remember that he is giving us power to turn these attempts to manipulate us, to, to attack us. He's giving us the power to turn those into acts of love. Like, that is God having our back. And that's what, kind of what this all comes down to, especially in these next couple of verses, that, like, you don't have to, to really defend yourself. Like, insults can't hurt you because you have the God of the universe on your side. And Jesus is talking to a group of people that should know this. And so as we read this, we should know this too. That, like, God has our backs. He has our best interests in mind. He, he knows what we need, and he provides them for us. Uh, so we'll move on, because it's going to get, it gets harder. Um, uh, 43 through 48 says, uh, you've heard it said, um, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, I'm going to stop there for a second, because I've never heard that said. I feel like that just seems pretty odd. It's definitely the way we think, you know, like that makes sense. Uh, but after a little bit of research, didn't take much, apparently, in that time, some of those, like, Pharisees and, like, teachers of the law, like, really did add that in. Like, they were like, hey, because, you know, the Old Testament definitely says, love your neighbor. That's in there. And they were just kind of like, and hate your enemy. Uh, it seems a bit odd, but people kind of went with it. Um, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a lot there to unpack. Um, anytime you end a sentence or like, uh, like a command with be perfect, uh, it, it seems kind of heavy. We'll break it down though. Um, love your enemies. This is the kind of thing like, I don't know, how many of you like grew up in the church? Just like, like if you grew up like hearing about God. Okay, so like half, slightly more. Uh, this is something that I heard all the time and it just seemed like the kind of thing that you like agree with and you're like yes i will do this but like in my everyday life literally like never ever ever happened because like i don't want to 
I don't want to love my enemies. It's, it's hard to do. And the idea of like enemies is kind of strange. Like I don't know if we actually think about like who our enemies are all the time unless you're really in a spot where like it's easy in middle school. There's plenty of enemies in middle school. You guys remember middle school, how terrible it was? Oh my gosh, I had enemies. I could name them for you right now. And like to this day, when you like talk about them, my stomach kind of like turns into stone. I'm like, oh, I can't. Um, but there's this call to love our enemies that seems like so strange, to pray for those who persecute you. Um, that's odd. It's, it's super odd because... It's just not how the world works. Like, it's not what we see around us constantly. It's definitely not what happens in movies. Like, we love the idea of, like, retribution, justice. Like, if something, like, it's just, it's John Wick. If somebody kills your dog, you kill 400 people. (laughs) If you haven't seen that movie, I'm sorry I just ruined it for you. That's it. That is the movie. And we love that. Like, we spend millions of dollars making movies about that, about this, like, just, like, huge, like, justice kind of thing that just goes above, above and beyond. Um, This whole idea about, like, an eye for an eye, um, we have taken so far... um, the, the idea about an eye for an eye originally was to limit punishment. To say, like, hey, if somebody, like, does you wrong, like, don't over-punish them. Like, stop at, like, something that's appropriate. We took that as, like, if somebody does you wrong, make sure they get everything that's coming to them. Like, if they took your eye out, you're taking their, out, their eye out, too. Like, that, there's, do you see the difference in that mentality there? Like, that's, that's very different. Um, so... Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Um, as a society that's like obsessed with justice, um, especially right now, we've, we like have no idea how to seek justice at this point because everything's so messed up. It's so hard to like seek justice for different groups of people that seem at odds with each other. Like, how can you provide justice for one group of people when it seems like you're, you're creating injustice for another group of people? And it all goes to say that just like, God never gave us the job of bringing justice. It's not our job in, in this sense. Now, there should be like law and, and stuff like that. But like, as far as what God is asking us to do, he's not telling us to be the judge. We are not supposed to to judge people. He even says that, and we're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's not our job. What our job is to do is to radically love people because it actually solves the problem that, we're, that we think we're solving when we want to play judge. Um, the whole like, perspective of, of these verses here, of this kind of part of what Jesus is saying, is that God will take care of that. He says right here, um, because this is a question that we ask all the time. Like, why do good things happen to bad people? This is what Jesus is talking about here. Um, he, set, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Like, good things still happen to bad people. Like, the sun still comes up for them. That's how God works. Um, the, he still sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Like, the crops of the evil still grow. M- more so than ours normally if we're not the evil ones in this scenario. 
because that's how God works, because he knows that like everyone on earth is, are his children and he's going to provide for them. That's what he does. That's the time, it, like that's the section in the timeline that we're in is where God is offering grace upon grace upon grace. Judgment comes later. If you read Revelation, it comes and it comes quick. It doesn't last, like it doesn't take that long for Jesus to show up and pull a sword out of his mouth and end it all. It's pretty awesome. He's got thigh tattoos. Look it up. There might not actually be tattoos. Um, right now is not that time. Judgment is not now. And that's a good thing for us because we're really bad at it. Right now is the time and where we get to look at God and see what he's doing. And that's just pouring out radical amounts of love, crazy amounts of grace to the people around us, to the people that don't deserve it. If there's anything that I've learned over the past two months, while fostering, uh, it's about loving people that, that like, don't really earn love. And it's so weird. But like you look at God and he like, we don't deserve any of his love. And we're like all pretty decent human beings in here. We just don't deserve it. But we get it anyways. And so when Jesus says like, look at how God does this. Be perfect. That's what he's saying. Look at God. Try to do what God's doing here. Love the people that do not deserve it because that's what I'm doing. I'll take care of the other stuff later. Judgment comes later. That's not your job. Your job is to love. Um, it would be, <laughs> I just got this, this, this picture kind of came to mind while I was thinking about this, this idea of us trying to like do God's justice work. Um, it'd be like us like fighting a battle with like sticks and pitchforks when we know that like just behind us is this massive army. Like that doesn't make any sense for us to just kind of run around. We would look like children, like playing war games. And God has no interest in us just kind of like wasting our time with that. Um, and so he's calling us to love people, love people that like don't, that don't really deserve it. And also people that like hurt us, like personally, which I think is the hardest part here. Because when we look at, at people as an enemy, um, it gets really tough because it gets personal for us. It gets, it gets sticky when someone has not only hurt you, maybe they did it on purpose, or maybe, maybe they're constantly just like pressing down on you over and over and over again. It feels like you can't really get out from underneath their thumb. Those are the people that Jesus is talking about. The good thing is, is he's saying, I've got it covered. Like you are, you know, you're mine. Like I've got you. All you have to do is just go love, which I think is a lot easier than trying to play judge. So, sorry, this is kind of running all over the place, but I love where, where Jesus kind of lands here. He says, be perfect. Um, when I was in high school, my friends and I, we had like a really awesome friend group. We were really fun. We were really well-liked. We touched every part of the school. I mean, we, we, between the like nine of us, we played every sport that we could. Um, and we had a lot of influence in the school. You know, we did the morning announcements. We did, uh, we were captains on teams. We were everywhere. And we had a great time senior year. We didn't hurt anybody. We weren't, we weren't mean. We were pretty nice. Uh, but at the end of the year, my young life leader uh, pulled us all into a room and just tore us to shreds. And the, the one line that he said to me that, that cut the deepest was, you coasted on salvation. And I was like, Ugh. like to this day, it's just like, oh my gosh, 
what a horrible thing to have done. Um, but he was right. Like instead of actually like pouring our lives out, investing in people, we just kind of like survived at, at like this level of mediocrity, um, which is not the way to live as a Christian, but I would say is probably the most common, if we're honest. We get up, up to this level where we're like, I'm a decent human being. I understand the things that I'm supposed to understand in order to like go to heaven, blah, 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 and just like live my life. And that's, I mean, kind of American Christianity in a nutshell. There's no radical love to be found, which if we look at what Jesus is talking about, couldn't be further from what he expects, which should kind of terrify us. It should cut us deep like my Young Life leader did. I call him once a year and thank him for yelling at me because that conversation changed my life. Um, We cannot coast. Our goal um, should be perfection, to look as much like Jesus as possible. And I don't know if you know how the story ends, but Jesus loves people to the point that they kill him. I like to get practical with these things. I think it helps to look at, at Scripture and then see like what it actually has to do with our lives, um, what it has to do with the, the world around us. Um, and the thing that we need to understand about this Scripture is that Jesus knows the truth. When he's talking to these people, he knows the truth that there really is only one enemy. And that enemy has convinced us that we have tons of enemies. You have to know this. Republicans, Democrats are not your enemies. Democrats, Republicans are not your enemies. Old people, the youth are not your enemies. Vice versa. You don't really have enemies other than one, the liar, that has convinced us that we should be cutting each other down at the ankles when in reality we all have the same goal in mind. Like we want to do good. We want to, we want to, we want to, we want life. Ultimately, I would say that deep down, we all want to know God. Um, but we make it really hard for each other to get there. It's, it's mind-blowing. I think if Jesus showed up now and gave this same, I wish that he could, like, show up now and give this same sermon in, like, our terms, I think it would clear a lot of things up. But we have to know that we do not have enemies. We just have people that aren't our friends yet. We can't look at people like they're enemies, because then they become other, then they become outside of us. They become so much more than they really are. They become their ideals or what they say on Facebook or, or, or what they say to your children or, or anything like that. But that's not people. People are people. People have pasts. They have stories. They have lives. They have reasons that they have become who they are. We have to seek to understand those things in order to love people. We have to seek to know people, to know their stories, to see where they came from. There's a great chance that two people that have completely opposing ideals have tons of things in common. Because we're human. There's a lot more things that make us human than than what make us enemies. So what do we do? Um, More than likely, you have someone that you probably consider an enemy of yours. Maybe not like like a nemesis where you are constantly battling battling each other, but maybe somebody that you really feel like is against you. Um, we have to start with what Jesus says. He says to pray for those people, the people that persecute us. Um, and it's, uh, I can't stress enough like how different like praying for your enemies is than being like, dear Lord, I pray for my enemies. 
Like, that's not a prayer. Like, you actually didn't even just say anything. Um, that's like a title. Um, praying for our enemies is, is asking the Lord to do good things for them. Not to fix them for our benefit, but to actually say, like, Lord, I want you to, like, wrap yourself around this person. I want you to invade this person's life. I want you to be the everything that this person reaches for. We have to, like, when Jesus says to pray for people, we have to pray specifically for things to come into their life, for Jesus to touch their hearts, and ultimately for, you know, and, and ask God how we can help do those things. Because I think if you're going to pray for something, you should be willing to help, help God make that happen. Um, we should pray for them. We should seek out ways to love them. And we should find out how to serve them. Um, Jesus' ultimate act of love was always service. Jesus ate last. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus did crazy things to show people that he considered them to be equal. And being considered equal by the Son of God is a pretty big deal. Um, and then, you know, what do you do if they attack you or they stand against what you believe, right? Like, that's, like, kind of this big thing. Like, what if they're attacking Jesus? Don't we, like, shouldn't we feel the need to, like, stand up and, like, fight back? Do you really think that Jesus needs your help in, fi in fighting off, like, someone's Facebook post? I don't know why we have become convinced of this as a society. Like, I will put 12 signs in my yard to, like, show that, like, I can protect Jesus. That's silly. Jesus does not need our help to, like, protect his, like, image or whatever. His image was terrible. When Jesus was walking around on earth, people were either trying to, like, force him to be king or, like, take over the country or just kill him. Like, he didn't have an awesome image. He doesn't want one. He wants love to crash through the earth in a way that is unsettling and life-changing. So don't feel the need to, like, defend Jesus. Um, just do what he's asking you to do. Love the people around you. Change the idea of who your neighbor is to everyone. Um, I think God is asking you to do something much more radical than fight. I think he's asking you to, to love people with everything that you have. Um, we're going to pray, and then Jeff's going to come up here. and or, I don't know. We'll get there eventually. We'll take communion. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for, uh, for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for um, coming to earth and making things so much more clear. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us to love our enemies, that you would, um, that you would rid us of a desire for revenge uh, and fill us with a desire to, to mend and to restore. Uh, we're so thankful for, for who you are, for what you're doing in the, in the world around us uh, and here in Salem. We love you. Amen.